Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his dues in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. So, I mean, I was doing it all myself. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways, everything in between some road course racing today because our guest is recognized as one of North America's most versatile and successful road racing drivers, winning races and championships from NASCAR to long-distance sports car events. Three-time American Le Mans Series driver champion, 2002 to 2004. 27 American Le Mans Series victory, four consecutive years, most popular driver, Six wins in the NASCAR competition. In fact, he became the first foreign-born driver to win races in both the Camping World Truck Series and Xfinity Series. Ladies and gentlemen, from Windsor, Ontario, Canada, say hi to Ron Fellows. Ron, say hi to Mike Wallace. Hi, Mike. Hello, Ron. <laughs> Man, I'm going to tell you what, buddy. Thanks, I... thanks Jeff. <laughs> you bet. Yeah, well, you, you got to lay them numbers down for somebody to talk about you, but... I've raced against you, but I never knew you were that damn good. <laughs> you, you will tell me about the. I always want to say we're going to go back and talk about the pre times, but because the twenty four hour race is coming up in Daytona, you've won that in class. You've won the twenty four hour Le Mans. What's a quick story? How do you run a twenty four hour race, Ron? Well, I, I think I'll qualify by saying the the best part of a 24-hour race is when it's over. <laughs> um, 
Um, yeah, no, it's, it, you know, in, in the, the years that I was with, with Corvette Racing, the, um, you know, it was in the early, early days of development and whatnot, but, um, you know, it, it, it is a, it is a ton of work, you know, preparing the, the team to be prepared, the, the car to be prepared. And, you know, through the, there, there was a time in the, even in the early development of the Corvette where, you know, if you were, the, the pace in a 24 hour race was conservative as in. You, know, you you were easy on the brakes, and you, you know, with a manual transmission, you avoided as much shifting as possible just to save the transmission. And then about 2000, you know, our basically our Corvette Racing, our second Rolex 24, it was it, it became an all-out sprint, and it and it, and it kind of has has evolved to where you don't you don't ease up until you've got a until the last three hours and you see where you are. So it, it, it certainly has, it certainly has evolved into, uh, um, you know, being much more of a sprint. Again, that's because of the, you know, the competition with manufacturers and, uh, and the quality of the race teams and, you know, not unlike any other, other form of motorsport that has developed. So it, it's a huge challenge of, of people and machines. Outstanding. Well, let's jump back now. I just had to ask that question because I've never really talked to anyone that's won Lama before. I mean, that's that's mm. really impressive. It's big. Yeah, it's really big. And then Daytona. But all of our fans and your fans around the world, Ron, want to know where did Ron Fellows come from? What created the interest in motorsports? So let's go back as far as you want to start. Oh, wow. And tell me. Were you born into the sport? Did the family be was was your family involved in it, or did you just take a liking to it somewhere at some time? Well, no, there was uh, my uncle. Um, my uncle was into rallying, he and his friends. Um, but no, my my <laughs> my father was an Anglican minister, Episcopalian minister, <laughs> uh, and my my mother uh, my mother was was. Uh, originally a teacher and so yeah there wasn't no no big background uh, it sounds like no racing background there <laughs> no 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 <laughs> and I, I don't i was the oldest of five but no my uncle uh my uncle chuck mclaren and his buddy john cross who actually lives in in uh, mooresville uh he was he's been very helpful with with me and my nascar ventures uh just in terms of uh of hospitality but um they they were as I said they were they were into rallying and they took my brother Rob and I to the the Canadian our first car race was a Formula One race the Canadian Grand Prix which was then Motorsport now a Canadian Tire Motorsport Park and that was 1969 and, and as a I guess an 11 year old kid it was it was uh, an awakening where it was just wow I that's what I want to do I want to race cars how do I get on the other side of the fence. That's where it started. Yeah, so as you had that experience at the Formula One race in 69 and you got that bug and said, I want to be a race car driver. That's where I want to get on the other side of the fence. How did you get on the other yeah. side of the fence? Uh, well, you know, I, I, the, the natural was karting. And uh, so I had, you know, you had uh, numerous jobs. It took a few years to save enough money to get a cart. But I think I'm thinking it was probably... 
74, somewhere around there, where I, my brother and I started doing some uh, carting and did that for a few years. And then um, my uncle bought a, uh, he had a, he had been racing for rallying for Nissan and uh, ended up buying a, um, essentially a, what was then a Datsun 510, a B sedan class car. And that's what I was able to get my license in and get started. And uh, yeah, it kind of went, went from there. I mean, it's, it, to say it, it was easy, it would be an understatement. They, you know, the, the, I wanted, I, I loved open wheel racing, so I ended up, I ended up buying a, a Formula 1600. And essentially, in late 70s, early 80s, I went broke. And I was, uh, and I was, uh, I was working at a, for a natural gas company uh, in the Toronto area, actually in the town that I grew up, Brampton. Um, and uh, I was a machine operator, so I did that for almost 10 years, and that was what was paying the bills. But I got, I got to the point in the early days where I was in a terrible mess of, of debt, so I had to stop racing, and I didn't race again until 1986 this was probably 80, 82 where i had to stop i just i had more <laughs> i had more bills than i had income <laughs> yeah well we're all familiar with that somewhere <laughs> in our life aren't we jeff oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. pretty much yes, my yes. story uh, right <laughs> now as a matter of fact so yep. as yeah, I, as you created that uh cost debt if we'll call it that was that generated because you wanted to be a race car driver too much were you focusing on spending all your money racing or just the way things played yep. out at that time? Nope. It was all racing debt. I had, I had, uh, you know, the company credit union I worked for. I had, I had four of there and, and uh, the bank. I was living at home and, uh, and just got myself in, in terrible debt and just, just struggled to, there was, you know, that, that a class sort of evolved to, in, in the early eighties to, Formula uh, Formula 2000 got introduced, and it became sort of the premier open wheel class for you know the. Uh, I had a Formula 1600 that was now worth half as much as it should have been because that class was now just strictly a, a club car. So it was it was difficult, and I was and I, I was and I, I I was miserable. I want I wanted to race, but the the. the the series that came along for me that was the break was um, General Motors in Canada, and, and there were the Porsche did the same thing. They they started single make series in the sort of mid '80s in Canada, and they had tobacco sponsorship, and there was big money. So I ended up in 1986 getting uh, racing a basically a showroom stock Camaro, and and it was a, a new series and. Uh, it paid. It paid like five grand to win, and he drove the car to the track. It was, uh, and that was. It was uh, hugely competitive, very popular. That series was at, uh, you know, that it was like the Saturday, Saturday feature at the Canadian Grand Prix, the Toronto Indy, the IndyCar race in Quebec in in the in the mid to late '80s. So it was it was a great great series and. And, you know, not only to learn how to race there, because there was 70-plus cars showing up, but I also, because of its popularity, 
and a decent TV package, I learned how to uh, get some sponsorship. That's really, you know, the that that series um, you know, did, did a lot for me in, in, in terms of relationship building. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, sponsors I I had that helped in my you know, winning a championship there in '89 uh, ended up helping me get into the to the Trans Am series um, as a reward for for a win. So it was that was the, that was the, the springboard the break that I needed. It was again it was a single a single make series where you know GM did a great job making sure that the cars were all the same. And, and it was, I guess, a roll cage, a racing seat, and shaved, shaved Goodyear tires, and off we went. All right. Hey, I need to back us up just for a second because I that I know you, you said you didn't race from 82 to 86, but like in 74, you were go-kart racing. How did you do in the real early years, up until you had to take that break from motorsports? You know, were, you a com- were you competitive or were you just out there? Were you winning races? How how was it before you had to take the pause in motorsports? Yeah, no. I, it, uh, in in hindsight, I was uh, I was better with cars with the, cars with a roof. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, no. I won. I won. Uh, I, I won a few races. And again, it, it's just you know, the problem was with funding. I was just uh, I, I couldn't do a, a championship. I was doing a few races here and a few races there. I managed to win a few with my uncle's car. Uh, I mean, I was I was competitive in Formula 1600, but but it was a it was a struggle financially, and I think I probably did over the course of a couple of two or three years, maybe 20, 20 of those races, and it was a struggle, and it just didn't didn't materialize. So. Okay, well, it's it's wonderful to hear the the struggles everybody goes through. You know, Jeff, don't you yeah. think? I mean, everybody we've talked to, they've had a struggle somewhere in their career. Absolutely, and I mean, you know, so so Ron, we want to know what kind of a car you drove between '82 and '86 when you had. <laughs> we usually we usually ask that question of our guests. But what kind of a car were you driving at the time? Yeah, the, the uh, funny part about car. that is because everybody's moved from somewhere, but you're you're still Canadian, man. You still live in Canada. So, what, was there some type oh, yeah. of crappy street car you were driving in that era? Yeah, it wasn't really really crappy. It was a it was a Chevy Malibu station wagon that I towed my Formula 1500 with. Oh, there you go, go. Malibu station. Wagon. Okay, I like cool. It. Yeah, uh, I inherited it. It was the family car. One. Who was a Todd Bodine that had a Chevette? Yeah, <laughs> not it, a Corvette, a oh, Chevette. Yeah. You'll have to listen to some of our shows sometimes. The yeah. stories are wonderful. The other, the other yeah. Yeah, we had uh, Greg Anderson, a drag racer, he's out of Minnesota originally. He had a lowered pickup truck, or yeah. S10 or something, you know. And it was, <laughs> but uh, so you take that pause for a couple years because of the financing that and you get back into the late eighties and you start winning races. How did, how did you or who helped you get restarted say in 87, 88, 89? How did that come about? Well, yeah, I ended up, um, I ended up working. I, I met a guy by the name of, uh, Richard Spinard and he was, a, a top and a great talent. He was teammate. The uh, teammate was Joe Villeneuve in Formula Atlantic, and he raced in Can-Am and Trans-Am. And he had, had gotten frustrated with the lack of opportunity, so he ended up uh, starting a racing school. He and, uh, he and a guy named Ray David, they started the Spenard David Racing School at a track um, east of Canadian Tire Motorsport Park called Shannonville. 
and I ended up I ended up meeting Richard at an auto show, and I went to his racing school. He had a racing school series, and these were Formula 2000 cars on slicks. And I thought, man, this is awesome. He had a scholarship program, and I and I signed up for it, and uh, and did really well. Didn't didn't win the scholarship, but I ended up. Uh, Richard hired me to work as an instructor, so that was that was sort of the first the first entry for me into the business was working at a at a racing school, and then uh, and then the uh, the Players GM series started in 1986, and and kind of moved from there. But it was it was it was working for working for Richard and, and Ray David at their at the racing school, it was sort of the foot in the door. The first foot in the door to the business, and um, yeah, the name that up uh, based on success in the in hold, the hold that thought right there. Start. That'd be a fun yeah, job, yeah, right. wouldn't it? Being a, a racing instructor, I'd like that. Yeah. Well, you're gonna. Is too old? Uh, <laughs> never. We're gonna come. Never. Take never. us somewhere. We're gonna come back and talk to Ron some more. We're talking to renowned road course racer. Say that three times. Ron Fellows, you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent, and today's guest, renowned road course racer Ron Fellows, is on the line. Say hi once again to Mike Wallace. Hi, Mike. Hey, we're back, Ron. We're we've in first fifteen minutes. We recap. You started racing about eleven years old. You worked your way through different forms of sports. Took a little break from eighty-two to eighty-six, and then you came back. Started at a driving school, and that's where we're at now. And as you're at that driving school, you apparently must have got some opportunities. Take us from there and tell us a little bit about uh, your career as it advanced on from from the driving school. Yeah, it was you know the the, the popularity of that uh, Sherm stock series, which was uh, Camaros and uh, Firebirds, um, was was you know it was uh, as I said it had TV, um, lots of marketing behind it, and again these were essentially you know, cars you could drive to the track, so it was super competitive, and you know by by being a, a front runner contender, winning races, contending for a championship, it was. You know, I ended up meeting, um, getting getting sponsorship first with uh, Sunoco here in Canada, and then uh, a mutual fund company in uh, McKenzie Financial. And the and the president uh, had basically, I, I he came over to meet me after I had won the the uh, IndyCar race or the support race for the IndyCar race in Quebec. It was actually on a seven eighth mile oval, San Air. And that was my that was my yeah that was my first win. That should have been a, a sign back then, but I ignored it anyway. <laughs> um, that was that was one of the two races in '86 that were live on TV. So it was a good it was a great one to win. Anyway, the the, the president was involved in uh, McKenzie Financial was involved in getting involved more in, in auto racing and in the car. They helped Ludwig Heimann Jr. Scott Goodyear. Anyway, he. Um, he was super impressed with my drive, and, and he ended up uh, he ended up helping and, and sponsoring me in uh, in, the, in, the, in that uh, short and stock series, and then uh, got me into uh, got me some money to uh, to do just a few races in in uh, 88, 89, 
uh, I think it is three each year for in the Trans Am series with Jack Roush. So that was, and I managed to win. I managed to win one, um, and that sort of was the next the next springboard from there. So trans. Yeah. So as you went through the the McKenzie financial people helped you, or the president of McKenzie, CEO, whatever. Yeah. He liked you apparently, and so he was. Uh, yeah. He helped you find a dollar or two along the way. Yes, he did. Yeah, and yeah. so then you. Uh, how did you get the opportunity with Jack Roush at that point? Just by your performance well, I, everywhere, or what? Yeah, it was. It was actually in a in a Trans Am race uh, in '87. I did a I did a one off and. Uh, for a guy by the name of Gordy Oftedal, and it was, I, I'd forgotten about that. So it was in, it was actually in a Buick Somerset, go figure. Anyway, it was uh, my first, my first Trans Am race, and I ended up finishing fourth. And I, and I met uh, Lee White, uh, who was, who was running Jack's road race programs then, and, and, and Lee invited me to a test, and then it ended up getting a couple of races with him in, in 88. Um, and uh, got a pole and a, and a podium, and then '89 did three more and managed to win one. Actually, won it at the home track here. So, um, and then uh, Jack ended up uh, giving me an opportunity with uh, for about ten races in '90, I think, in uh, with Motocraft and a company by the name of AER Manufacturing. Again, this is another one of those big, big moments for. For me, um, Bob McGraw and his wife Helen were big fans. They were they have a company in Addison, Texas, uh, engine manufacturing business, and they were they were involved with Jack. And basically, Jack Jack and Lee White said, uh, "Hey, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get you going with uh, with Motocraft and AER, and, and you know the the McGraws are really nice people that they like that they, they might stick with you." And that turned out to be. Uh, uh, a, a real deal. AER is, uh, you know, Bob and Helen are friends, very good friends to this day, and uh, helped me in, uh, in not only in the early stages of the Trans Am, but also helping with the uh, sponsorship for my first, uh, that first truck win in 97. So, yeah, it, the relationship, connections, uh, it, it, that's what the business is about. Yeah, so let's talk about AER for a second because I—that's when I first remember really seeing and personally knowing Ron Fellows. I mean, hey, who who is this guy? He's badass. Whoever he is, he wins races, runs up front. AER was a—you said it was an engine rebuilding company. Engine remanufacturing, small engine components. That that was yeah, and they had contracts with a, a and still do. They're in Addison, Texas, suburb of Dallas, and. Um, they, they do a lot of work with uh, numerous OEs, uh, and Ford and Chevy are one. Happened to be the domestics they were involved with, as well as as well as Dodge now. But um, yeah, so they were they. Uh, and I, and I have I, I'm not sure how they got hooked up with with Jack, but um, it was probably through through the Ford connection initially. But they uh, yeah no it was Bob and uh, Bob and Helen were incredibly supportive, and uh, uh, their their belief their belief in me was, was was what allowed me to get in the position, certainly in NASCAR, to you know to be uh, become a uh, you know a part time guy that, that did okay. 
Yeah, did great. Uh, people, you know, there these stories. There's young people always asking, "How do you get in a sport? How do you do this? How do you do that?" And there's no set way, but they are people. I'm intrigued by that just a little bit because it's not. You said they had an involvement with Roush first, and you were driving for Roush. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so so you met them driving from for Jack Roush and Ford Motor Company or whatever, and then they they liked you. I take it right. That's yeah. how. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, I ended up uh, going from uh, Jack Roush to uh, Tom Roy's Ford team. There were two Ford teams in the sort of early early 90s, and I went to drop and drove for Tom Roy, and then uh, then I went then I got hired by Chevy in uh, in the fall of '94. So that was and that was and Bob uh, Bob and Helen um, were were part of my you know, part of my uh, First year with Chevy, and Bob was instrumental in, in uh, providing some funding for for the Corvette team to run the run a run a race in Texas, which turned out to be our first win in 2000. So, just an uh, incredibly uh, generous uh, generous couple and, and absolute enthusiast for the sport, whether it was NASCAR or sports cars. So oh, that's they, a, uh, that's incredible. Yeah, you must be a pretty decent guy yourself. Otherwise, they wouldn't elect <laughs> you, right? <laughs> I guess. You guess. <laughs> All right. So we're we're up into the 2000s, and Ron Fellows is, is a name. You're, you guys constantly winning races. you got a Trans Am program. You've come to run some NASCAR races. And in the NASCAR world, you know, for a while there, there was – road race ringers that's what everybody phrased them as the guys that didn't run you know the full schedule and your name was always at the very top of that list uh how do you think that come about just because of all the success you had in road racing or did you make a lot of inroads in the nascar world at that time that people knew you or gm helped you get recognized or forward or is a combination of everything well yeah certainly um you know Herb Fischel, Joe Negri, who were, were running uh, uh, essentially GM racing back in the '90s. You know, I, I drove I drove for Chevy '95, '96 in the Trans Am series, and then it, that program ended. And then the uh, um, a couple of years later, the Corvette race program started. But in between, uh, yeah, Herb had encouraged me to. You know, the 90, 97 year, I was still under contract, but they, they weren't involved in the Trans Am series. And he was, hey, you know, go try this, try that. So I ended up, um, you know, 97 was, uh, was I, did a, I did a few races in the truck series with uh, Billy Hess, great guy. Oh, yeah, um, oh, Billy Wall. We had, yeah, we had uh, uh, Buzz McCall, who was uh, who I drove for in the, in the Trans Am series. It was his team. Buzz had the Caterpillar. Um, Xfinity, then Cup team. Okay. Buzz yeah. lent us a motor. Yeah, he ended up lending us a motor. AER helped with the, the sponsorship, and we ended up winning winning the truck race at the Glen in '97 was the turning point, and that 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 was that was the turning point for me. I ended up getting hired by uh, by Nemechek to drive for them, and that was a, a tremendous, uh, a great fun, and what a great team, Nemco with. Uh, Joe, Brian, Patty, and um, yeah, we had we had we had some fun in 
Ben Bush series and, and also the truck series. Yeah, well, Brian Patty was on our show here a while back, and he talked very highly of you. He said, I saw that. He said, what a racer, he says, you know, <laughs> and great guy. So, uh, how, well, how you... it, was, it was funny because Brian, Brian, was, Brian was just a kid, and I was, you know, we started in 98. I was, yeah, 41 years old, and uh, I got this crew chief who's 20 years younger, or about that, <laughs> and you can't, you can't rent a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah yeah so that was that was always a joke for okay he's 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 taking patty he's he's <laughs> so so jeff and i talk on this show uh, we get to certain guests now and then where age is we get to laughing about age because now if you're not like almost a superstar by 12 <laughs> you don't even get considered you know what i mean so what'd you say it was 41 when you run a cup car or uh, you start driving for nema check yeah, uh, forty. Yeah, forty years old. Yeah, forty years old. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's a that's incredible. Isn't it? I, I recall feeling pretty good when I was forty years old. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was just starting to get some really good opportunities in you know in my you know in my in, the, in my mid thirties. Let's call it with, and certainly the you know, being being um, being on the contract to Chevy. And, and which continues to this day has been magic, and um, certainly the you know I wasn't I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna waste them uh, waste the opportunities and, and you know, even the even the you know the Corvette program to, to race to race up until you know into my into my basically 50 years old 50 51 when I did my last Le Mans was just uh, it was it was it was awesome to do it but um, you know they were. You know, that it was you know, that the passion, the desire, the focus was was still there because it was you know I was probably ten years behind getting all these great opportunities and, and I I just kept plugging away. Yeah, that's beautiful because I was telling Jeff when we first started doing this show originally we got talking about age one time and I said I remember living in St. Louis, Missouri, 1990. I won the NASCAR Winston Racing Series champion, which is just a local Saturday night stuff, you know, and. Uh, I remember calling Cal Yarborough over the phone from St. Louis and introducing myself because of my, and uh, he wanted to know how old I was. <laughs> and this is still to, in today's world so humorous to me. I said, "Well, sir, I'm 31 years old." And he goes, "Boy," he says, "It sounds like you're really good." He says, "But I'm really looking for somebody a little older with more experience." <laughs> 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 and, and when we talk about today's world, you know, in the last five years, you know, you got to be a little young. Now, kid. if you're 31, you're over the hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're driving a yeah. Xfinity yeah. car or whatever when you're 14. You well, know, you know, I I think I told you the story, Jeff and Ron. You would, as being the great guy you are, instructor, and when you got to drive in school, all that. My son Matt was racing. And he won a big race here in Concord against Harrison Burton. Right. Yeah. And the uh, the Toyota guys told him told him he was really really talented, but he was too old for their program at twenty one. Twenty one. Twenty one. They told him they, they had no interest in him because he was too old. <laughs> and I thought it, 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 it devastated him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Uh, oh but, yeah. Yeah. That's well, let's hold that thought, and we'll come back and talk about some more things. We're talking to Ron Fellows, and you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. 
And once again, today's guest, Ron Fellows. And once again, from high atop the pit box, inside the Crosley Speed Sports Studios, I give you Mike Wallace. <laughs> well, now you've got a picture, Ron, of where we're at, high above the, the racetrack and everything else. But, uh, man, oh, I'm, I'm loving following your career, uh, just talking about it and seeing where it's at. So as we're advancing on, we're into the, the late 90s, coming up in 2000s and all that. Corvette racing, that intrigues me uh, just because your name is like you put Corvette, Chevrolet Corvette, and if you put Ron Fellow's name next to it, it just fits perfect. And uh, my daughter, <laughs> and we were talking about you Saturday night. My daughter, Lindsay, bought a brand new, she got a 2022 Corvette delivered. Nice. Uh, all red one. Oh, nice. And I says, yeah. oh my God, we need to get Ron Fellows to come down here and teach us how to drive this thing. You know, I said, she goes, Ron Fellows. Yeah, I says, I said, this is Mr. Corvette. I mean, he's, <laughs> he is the Corvette guy, you know. So, tell there's tell. There's a two-day school that there's a two-day school that comes with her with her car. Does it really? Yes. Well, oh, they does. didn't tell us that. Well, we got to hear about. Well, that. I bought it from a buddy of mine out of Pennsylvania because he was the only guy who didn't want to mark up the price on it. <laughs> but okay. so can well, we can we take that? Line, we can help you with that, Mike. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask you after the show. Actually, we're going to be out in Vegas in April. I was going to see about. Uh, spring mountain there but uh let's let's just yep. go back to corvette i, I uh yep. you you helped establish as the driver mentor leader of the corvette program for chevrolet T take us through that time how does a how does a manufacturer decide they're going to create a new program and then how did you guys go about making it so successful yeah it, it you know I, I i was just a driver the you know, there was there were a number of people behind the scenes. Uh, you know, certainly back back then, Herb Fischel, Joe Negri were were running GM Racing, and, and Herb's dream was to take a Corvette to Le Mans. And it started for me with uh, a meeting in the fall of '97, and uh, I had I had a pretty good month of August. I won the won the truck race at the Glen. I ended up winning in a in a uh, Ferrari prototype in a world sports car race. My contract was up, and I met with Herb and Joe, and they they were um, they told me about this this plan to take a Corvette to Le Mans. The only kicker was that we'd be essentially testing for an entire year before we go racing, and and I and they wanted me to to be part of the program as a as driver, and I. And I'm thinking, let's see, going to Le Mans. I, I, at that point, had seen the movie Le Mans with Stephen McQueen. I can't count how many times. <laughs> and it was a, a, a nanosecond went by, and I told them I was in. <laughs> I mean, so, so the, you know, but for, for you know, the, 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 the background for that was finding, finding a, a, an organization that could, that could, essentially uh, accomplish and had the had the, uh, the the staff and the facility to do that and that and that's where Pratt and Miller affected into it. I I'd been running Pratt and Miller chassis in the Pentagram series for Chevy, so it was sort of a natural there you know, Gary Pratt, Jim Miller, their their shop was Michigan based and and, and still is. Um you know, just outside Detroit. So that that's really where it started was uh a small, a small program with the, the fifth generation car, and we we uh, we 
tested for the first time in the fall of 97. And essentially, you know, the as we as we continued to test and develop, and we were going to tracks that, you know, the American Le Mans series was just, was just starting. And we would, some of the testing we did was like on a Monday, Tuesday, right after a race weekend. So it was, so it was an opportunity to, you know, to, uh, you know, test on the track that was completely rubbered up. And it was, it was also uh, an opportunity for good year in terms of uh, compatibility because the America Le Mans series had uh, multiple, multiple tire manufacturers competing then. So, um, yeah, so we, we, and the rules evolved, and it was really, you know, that throughout 98, uh, Pratt Miller grew in terms of uh, adding people, um, in, you know, increasing the development, uh, and so we ended up in our, we debuted the, the C5R at uh, the Rolex 24 in 1999. And, uh, and again, it was a, initially uh, a part-time part effort that uh, became a, full-time and, and it culminated with uh and, and again we you know that i remember in 99 it was just a matter of, of at the rolex 24 it's our first race and, and we just want to get to the finish and that was a and that was a struggle you know with, with problems we ended up on the on the podium in the class but it was it was a struggle just to get to the checker flag and then then the next year we were on the wrong end of the of one of the closest finishes, and that was for overall. But and and uh, but the, you know again the the, the 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 enjoyment of of all of us being part of something special there, working towards getting our first win, which we did in the fall of 2000, and then we got the, the overall win at the uh, the Rolex 24 in 2001, and that was when I managed to meet uh, the Earnharts. They were in the the other car, um, and we got our first Lamar win, class win in 2001. It was uh, that was the breakout. That was a breakout year for for Corvette, and it's been a dynasty ever since. And it was fun to be part of a lot of the first firsts and and, uh, and see see how the you know the, the, the team and the people developed. Um, yeah, and I, I remember going into the 2001 race, and uh, you know with the crew. At dinner one night in, in the in the around the speedway, and it's like these guys. We were we were ready. We were ready for you know, everybody. Felt really well prepared. You know, we'd learned a lot the year before, being being close but not quite. And uh, yeah, no, it's just it's just cool to be part of that, and 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 also have some you know some great teammates along the way. And that's the that's the big difference in in long distance sports car racing where you share the car and it, and it, and it can be, uh, you know, at times a compromise, uh, everybody's got to get along and stay, stay focused on the goal is staying out of trouble <laughs> and, uh, um, winning. And, and, and a lot, a lot of it, a lot of times you have to be unselfish as a, as a, as a teammate and, um, you know, every everybody gets everybody gets a chance to sort of be be the be the be the guy and or be the driver in the last in the last three hours. You know, just in the, it's not unlike uh, any other any other sport where inside the last few hours you're gonna whoever's having the you know the great the great day is gonna get 
get an opportunity to, to finish if there's a if the chase is on. So yeah, so it, uh, yeah, just, I, I really I really enjoyed really enjoyed this sports car racing. But, uh, just because of the that, that, that teamwork aspect was 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 so much fun. Yeah, so that 2001 win, uh, I, you know, it's kind of like a vision I have in my mind. I still remember that from you guys. Who who were the team drivers for your car at that time? You just yeah, mentioned was, about uh, team team being so important. Who, who did you who drove yeah, your car with you? Yeah, it was Chris Maple, uh, Johnny O'Connell, and Frank Freedom. Yeah. Okay. Frank, um, yeah. So Frank Frank was uh, French. Uh, Chris was a. Uh, and he's American as he's Johnny. And I'd raced against Chris in the Trans Am Series. The, the Rolex 24 2001 was Johnny's first race with him. So, <laughs> and, uh, and he and I became uh, the, the sort of the full-time, the full-time drivers um, later on. And, um, yeah, it was just a, and, and great friends. And, and uh, as a, and you ended up becoming, you know, when you're when you're in that environment, you become very close, um, as as we all did. Whether it was the team guys or the drivers, so um, yeah, no, it was it was it was awesome to go to hey, get that get how, that person. How about taking me through, not just me, taking all the fans, thinking the fans that are thinking about the 24-hour race coming up in Daytona here shortly. And I've been asked this question, but I've never run a 24-hour race. I've never run an, an endurance race of any nature. So when you come in for a driver change, uh, I think all of us are intrigued by that because drivers are different heights and widths and all that. Can, can you give me a quick rundown when you roll down pit road at Kark comes to a stop? What go? I mean, we know you take off the seat belts and that, but what goes into the driver change? in one of those endurance races yeah you know they i, I think the seats have evolved to where that they're, they're much more adjustable than they were but for you know, being you know i'm 62 and everybody else is everybody else i had other than chris Nipple were were shorter so it, it ends up being a um, a bit of a compromise with the seating position for the, the tall guy being me and then there's uh generally there's a quick insert that goes in for for the, for the drivers that are a little shorter and that's kind of it but it but y'all we have to get that done in like 30 seconds and it was yeah there was a lot of we would practice practice the driver changes a lot to make sure that uh, they they were smooth and and uh you know, the, you know the guys getting in got their inserts in properly you know that the team worked on uh, uh making sure the inserts were easy to slip in uh because you know, the, the worst thing you want to have is uh is to be uncomfortable, you know, and not not have a position right, and then uh, um, the adjustments of the seat belts, but every, and everything's got to be done in like thirty seconds. That's so. amazing. You really is, well, here's a question for you too. So, if you've got four guys that are that are on your team, your drivers, four drivers. So, so at the Daytona, Daytona is the Daytona is the only race we you can you can run more than three. Lamar is three. Ah, I see. So Daytona, yeah, Daytona is the only one where you can run. But there's obviously there's obviously the a, a, a plan going in. Okay, driver one, you're going to drive for so many laps or such and such amount of time, right? I mean, you know, it's all mapped yeah. out, right? So the, yeah, so the way the way it works is you'll try to do uh, Lamont's probably well, Daytona is uh, similar. So you're going to try to do you know. 
a couple of in in the GT cars you're going to do a couple of tanks of fuel, um, and which you know if you're in the car for a couple of hours, uh, then then the next driver the next driver gets in and it really you're you're, you're giving everybody a chance to uh, uh, get a bit of a break you know get get rehydrated and get some get some fuel. But generally, you have to, as if you're the next, if you're the driver going in next, you got to be down there for that the driver's first, the driver coming in his first first stop in case something goes wrong and, and or during his stint he gets sick. So you know that that's kind of a routine where you got you got a few hours off and then you're then you're back down to the back down to the pit. But you know you want to go back, rest up, make sure that you got uh, you're hydrated and you got uh, you got some. Got some food in me and head back down. Gotcha. So, yeah. Well, as it's twenty, and then, and then in the end, it, it, then in the end, it comes down to, you know, the, you know, the, you know, who's having who's having a really good day in terms of speed, and, and that's who's going to get the majority of the, the driving. And there's also limitations on how much one one driver can do as well so, within the rules. Well, that's cool. Jeff, what do you think about if we take a break and come back? Let's talk about Le Mans just for a second. We can do that because we are who we are. <laughs> We're talking to Ron Fellows. You're <laughs> listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Today's guest, renowned road course racer Ron Fellows. And once again, here's Mike. Well, Ron, you know, we were talking about Daytona, and you explained driver changes to me, intrigues me. But I, I just uh, give me a quick little story about Le Mans. You know, you, you're the only driver that I know, only person I know, that has won both at Daytona and Le Mans. And first of all, Le Mans is in France, right? Well, yeah. you know, because I always thought it was Le Mans. Well, I, 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 I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> well, how, you know, how do you pronounce it, Ron? It's, it's Le Mans. Le Mans. Le Mans. Le Mans. Le Mans. Okay. Yes, it's. The S is silent. Namacha. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Tell me, tell me just, I don't know, tell me a unique thing about Lamar. Uh, well, there's, there's, there's lots. The, the biggest, the biggest difference, uh, there's a couple, but the biggest one is the track is, uh, on, utilizes uh, a fair amount of public roads and it's, and it's nine miles, almost nine miles around. And, um, it's very unique that way. Uh, practice, Practice and qualifying happens essentially late in the day, because the a good portion of the pub, of the roads are the track is on public roads and they're not allowed to. Ah, no kidding! I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So the so my first my first trip there, the the uh, you know, practice and qualifying was Wednesday night and Thursday. Practice was. Seven to nine, and then there's a like dinner break, and then ten to midnight, and that's the routine. And the difference was, you know, that was, uh, um, you know, that that was, and there was no real qualifying session. But what happened is, the you know, you're you're, you're actually you're practicing, you're trying different things, getting all the drivers comfortable, and then who's ever on their game, they'll throw on a will throw on a soft set of uh, tires, and you'll go kind of light fuel load, and they'll bust off a lap generally that happened at about 8 30 that cooling off um and and that's at any time you can whatever at the end of the at the end of thursday night after after these 
eight hours of uh, eight hours of sessions. Whatever your fastest lap time, that's your starting position. There was no, there's no real defined session for qualifying. It's just all practice. Well, the, the one thing that Jeff Kent does so good here is when we're talking about something, if I'm, he can tell I'm totally lost on it. He Googles it up, so he's he's got me so a track just, map here. I did, so I just and, brought up the track. And I can just imagine as you're getting ready to go practice with all that public transportation over there, they go, oh, hold on, we, we, we've got a transit bus in turn eight. Coming we have to get through. off the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They close things up. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's part of the, you know, the 80-odd years of, the, of Le Mans, and there's, it's, it's steeped in history and tradition um, and, and absolute, absolute magic. But it is, it's, a, it's a, difficult, a difficult circuit and um, takes on a very different uh, character at night, um, and it is uh, hell if it rains. Oh, and when you're talking about a when you're talking about a nine mile track, there's you know the, the there are times when which which happened the, the nine or ten times that I did it where yeah there's it's it's raining in one portion of the track and not another. Yeah. That, that also factors into you know your 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 tire choice and and certainly the overall strategy is is you have to factor in the weather. How much practice time does it take you to get used to a nine-mile course? You know what I mean? Where you feel comfortable? Okay, I gotta, you know, I gotta turn coming up. I gotta get ready for this. It's a long straightaway here. You know, how much practice time does it yeah. take you? Well, again, you're you're a uh, you're a professional driver, and um, you, you got to do all your homework. So it's it's looking at video. It's walking the walking the track. You know the. Engineers want to get on with 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 all the things that they want to accomplish in terms of trying different uh, you know chassis chassis work aero stuff. So they don't want they don't want to just they don't want a driver. It takes forever to get up to speed. But you know, for me, it was about five laps. Mm. There you go. How about you, Mike? Did you ever but, did you ever get out I, there and walk I, the I track? Did, I did a bit. We actually, I not so much a uh, what I call a NASCAR asphalt track, but I dirt racing that we used to walk the track all the time. Is that right? Yeah, but uh, actually, I'm not uh, familiar with many people being able to walk a NASCAR track because they would never let you on it before right. practice would start. But uh, we've got thrown off of it a few times at night once we've been there and. Yeah. You know, everything was happening in the infield. But and there all was that a stuff. cooler involved. Yeah. yeah, I hate when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever think about, Ron, how many good stories in racing you could sit around and guys that, uh, even the guys that don't drink, could sit around and talk about beer and liquor stories at the racetrack and the fans yeah. that are riding coolers through the infield and everything well, else? Yeah, man. Come yeah. on. Go to Talladega one time. <laughs> You'll leave with a story or two. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the, I will tell you this one of the, Awesome things about being in Lamar is, is uh, the hospitality that, that the team the team gets with with, with Chevy and, and being in France uh, you don't you know I, I, I would I don't my policy was no alcohol week of the race but certainly the the, the, the food and the wine it was that was I, I was happy to go back to Lamar after I retired. <laughs> for the party yeah. <laughs> well look here we're at a party a damn race broke out <laughs> I think I'll go take a nap yeah. 
So, Ron, tell us, uh, I just love hearing about this. We've talked forever, but we're going to run out of time. So what was the last year, what I call you as a professional race car driver? That's how, how you made your living. Yeah, um, full-time, I'd say 2000, 2008. I mean, I still did I still did a few uh, soon after. I think I did my last cup race in 13. I was more part-time, but I it had quickly evolved. You know, the, again, it's all cool opportunities that come up. But um, you know, starting in 2009, we—that's when the—that's when the Corvette School um, that we started that out out of Spring Mountain with the with the ownership there, and that was that was something that uh, that Chevrolet wanted to do, and, and Michelin, and it was a, it was a great opportunity for me to to go from you know racing driver to uh, uh, being able to provide Corvette owners with uh, with a great great experience, and it continues continues to this day. And we, Tell everybody uh, about Spring Mountain. Actually, I, I was uh, invited out there by Chevrolet many years ago as part of a a drive, driving lesson to go road racing. You know, sure. and learned yeah. uh, learned a lot out there. Tell tell our fans about, about Spring Mountain. Yeah, so the, it's a it's a beautiful motorsport country and it's about 45 miles west of Vegas, uh, near the town of Pahrump. Uh, it's, a, it's actually a beautiful drive from uh, from the airport as well. But it's a, it's an absolutely stunning motorsports country club. There is, uh, what do we got, six miles of race track and another three that's just getting finished. Um, so there's there's uh, membership opportunities at the primary um, uh, business there is the uh, school with my name on it uh, with, with Corvette, and we you will do you know about five thousand owners. So when you buy when when you buy a new Corvette, it comes with uh, with a two day school as part of the ownership experience. That's good to know. Yeah. You know, we could stop there on our way to Glamis. Yeah, yeah. We were talking to Greg Biffle last weekend. We're going to go to Glamis, the sand dunes out there sometimes. So that everybody knows, we call it Spring Mountain, but it's called the Ron Fellows Performance Driving School at yes, Spring Mountain Motor, Res Motor Resort and Country Club. So you got yourself yep. in that business, and you are you got this beautiful country club atmosphere out there. But then you decide, if I'm right, correct, you decide to, you want to own a racetrack that you competed on one forever, right? Dumber than a sack of rocks. Yeah. yeah. Say that yeah. again. <laughs> Dumber than a sack of rocks. Yeah. yeah well, that, that happens sometime in life, and, and, and uh, I, I think, correct me, that that was Moss Sport, which is now called Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Tell us a little bit yeah, about that sure. racetrack. Yeah. So that was that was a track that uh, it, it was a big part of my you know, and a number of lots of Canadian drivers you know, that they're, they're growing up and they're learning how to race. Um, and I was actually was at my school with uh, with Carl Padani, who's our who's our uh, partner, and uh, I get introduced to Carl by a guy by the name of Al Bouton. And Al was initially a partner as well. And anyway, we we're at my school with with Carlo's sons, and Carlo gets all all excited about we should we should buy a racetrack. And he's a Toronto area businessman, and he said, "What about Mooseport? Do you think it?" Do you think it'd be for sale? I said, well, I don't think it is, but I know who to call it at. And that's really how it started. And uh, Don Panos was the owner. And with uh, through Scott Atherton and Don Panos, we ended up sitting down in the late fall of 2010 and took over ownership in June 2011. And it was it was really, um, it was 
you know, we were sort of the next, you know, the, the track has been around 61 years and it was, and it has, you know, incredible history. And it really was for us, we were sort of the next stewards to take the facility to another level. And, and we were able to uh, invest in the facility and, and sort of get it get into the 21st century in terms of improving the, uh, our ability to, to better host uh, weekday events as well as uh, spectator events. And that's, that's sort of the short version. But it's, Does the racetrack stay uh, fairly busy other than race events? You got a lot of things going on during the week? Yeah, it's, you know, the, the, we've got, a, we've got a, a beautiful karting facility. I've been heavily involved with uh, karting and youth programs for about uh, 20 years now. There's a beautiful karting facility, and then on the west side of the karting, you know, going from east to west, you've got the, what we call the Grand Prix track, which is the original Motorsport, and then to the west of uh, the Canadian Tire Motorsport Park property, which we have a 900 acres, there's the karting facility, and then another, uh, what we call the driver development track, which is about a, about a uh, two-mile, you know, um, much, much, uh, much slower, uh, you know, a little, little more of a, uh, a track that uh, is for um, motorcycles and uh, and track rental, and that it's its primary source. But the, but the, you know, the the good news is from the from when the snow melts to when the snow flies that all three tracks are are, are busy and booked. So that's the, that's the good news. Great. Anybody wants to know anything about that can just go to what your website, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Is that where we find something out yep. about the track? Okay. Yep. Okay. Canadiantiremotorsportspark.com. Yep. Yeah. Well, as we're we're ending winding this up, we could talk for another hour or two, but uh, we've done delayed things <laughs> enough. But I, I I'm going to take the initiative, if you don't mind, to tell the rest of the world that you've had an incredible career, and to add some of the things to that in 2011. You were inducted to the Corvette Hall of Fame in Bowling Green, Kentucky. 2013, you were inducted into the Canadian Motorsports Hall of Fame. 2014, into your hometown Sports Hall of Fame in Bramington, Ontario. And then just here in, in 2020 or recently, you were appointed a member of the Order of Canada, which is one of the uh, highest honors in a country. Man, you, what was that like? I mean... Racing is one thing, and winning trophies is one thing, but when your country that you live in recognizes you, what does that I mean, feel you're, like? You're royalty, Ron. Yeah. You're royalty. Royalty, Ron. <laughs> royalty, Ron. No, I'm serious. That, that's a that's a big honor, and uh, all of yeah, those are no. big honors. But uh, what what is when you were uh, when they awarded you the member of the Order of Canada? What what did you think? What did you? I mean, I had, what thought went uh, through well, you? Well, I had I had no idea. And it was it was a, a number of journalists sort of petitioned uh, for that to happen, and I, I was actually at Spring Mountain at, my, at the Corvette School, and I and I get this very early morning call on my cell phone, and it was uh, you know it was in Ottawa, our our, our capital is in Ottawa, and I got a call from and I recognized the, the area code, and I'm thinking who the heck is that? I we have some family there, so I answered the phone, and it was just this uh, official from the, um, from the governor general's office, and and uh, he he says he tells me I I've been I'm going to be uh, uh, receive the order of Canada, and and I'm like, okay, who is this really? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, 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 Mr. Fellow. This, this is like, really? Wow. It was, so it, it, it was it's a, an absolute uh, honor, and, it, and, and it, it's just a um, it was very, very cool honor. And, and uh, um, it was, uh, you know, the, the, the nice part about it was, was that it's the first, I'm the first uh, racing driver, uh, Canadian racing driver, to, to, to be recognized. Uh, by the and, and we see the, the order of Canada, hopefully not the last. Um, but it, it, I think it, it's great for it's great for recognition for the sport and and also uh, um, you know it, it, you know you think whether it's you know the, the racing or or what we're doing as a and my 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 whole family's involved with. Uh, with the carding, my wife, and she's in the, she's a partner at the racetrack. So we're, we're you know, um, all of the all of the all of our kids have at one point worked worked at the racetrack, and, and one of them still does. So that so it's been a it's been a great uh, racing has been very very good to to not only run fellows but the the fellows family. So it's been an absolute privilege. Well, Jeff Kent, I don't know of any better way to uh, to wrap it up. To I mean, wrap that it just up. that puts the bow on the on the present. Right so, there. racing royalty, Ron Fellows. Right. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing about, man? It's true. I mean, that's you're you're, yeah, you're I, the man. So, I think that's how I'm gonna, when, when I post that, that's how I'm racing royal. Yeah, yeah. Today's well, we, guest, Royal Ron Fellows. Yeah. We want to thank you for your time. Uh, we appreciate it so much. You've had an incredible career, and uh, hopefully we can all get together and talk again because uh, certainly an hour is not enough to get it all wrapped up in. There you go. And enjoy those grandkids. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> hey, thanks, Jeff. You thanks, bet. Jeff, and thank you, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.